All right, so we are looking at this one verse in the 16th chapter of Revelation and the placement of this uh, statement is amazing to me because it, I, don't, I don't know if you realize it as we're reading it. If you look at it, it's, um, it's here in the midst of the final judgment that's being described. And it's right toward the end of the bull judgments. Now, perhaps you remember that the judgment begins with the, the seven seals being opened, and then there's seven uh, trumpets that sound. And then the, the final phase of the judgment that's coming upon the earth is described in these seven bulls. And so it's in the middle of this description here that we suddenly have this, behold, I am coming as a thief. But the really interesting thing to note is that this is Jesus speaking here. So he, he just completely kind of breaks, breaks into the narrative. It, the, the text itself is being written by John and it's talking about the things that are going to transpire in the future. And it's describing in detail these judgments. It's, it's talking here about the fact that there's a loathsome sore that breaks out on all of those that have received the mark of the beast. Uh, all of the earth's water supply is turning to blood. Uh, the sun, it, the heat is intensified to the point that it's scorching uh, people. And then uh, finally, at the, at the pouring out of the sixth bowl, there's the nations being gathered together uh, for this great battle there in, uh, at the place called Armageddon. So that's the... That's the narrative, that's the background. But then suddenly, Jesus breaks in and speaks these words, behold, I come as a thief. Now, a couple of questions that I want to consider. Question number one is, who is this warning for? For it, it is a warning of sorts. It's an exhortation, it's a, it's a word of encouragement, but it's, it's a warning as well. Behold, I come as a thief. So who is he addressing this to? But before we answer that, the second question is, what is the significance of the analogy of the Lord coming as a thief? Now, the significance is this. The thief comes suddenly without advance warning. The thief comes unexpectedly. And there are at least four other occasions in the New Testament where uh, Jesus is spoken of as uh, coming as a thief in his second coming. So even though we find this this word of warning, this word of exhortation, even though we find it in the midst of this description of the tribulation, I don't think the word is really for those at that time in the future. Because if you think about it, those in the future who will be living through this tribulation period, the return of Christ will not really be to them uh, something that happens unexpectedly, rather the return of Christ for them will be something that they have anticipated and longed for. So back to the question, who is the warning addressed to? Uh, the warning is addressed to the church throughout each generation. Every uh, manifestation of the church prior to the rapture of the church, the exhortation is really directed toward us. It is just this, this kind of this reminder in the midst of all of this that throughout the long history of the church as Christians from generation to generation would read the book of Revelation as they would read about these horrific events that are coming upon the earth uh, and you know, not knowing from generation to generation if we might be the ones that would, uh, all of this would culminate in our time. Uh, Jesus just throws in this reminder that he has promised to deliver those from this period of time who are trusting in him, but it's the reminder that he's coming unexpectedly. He's coming suddenly. And so the warning part of it is that we must be 
ready. We must be continually ready. You see, because the ever-present danger that believers are warned about is that of growing spiritually dull and being unprepared for the Lord's return. This is something that the New Testament speaks to over and over and over again. The New Testament reminds us that Jesus could return at any time and therefore believers are to be on constant alert. We are always to be watching and we are always to be ready. That's, that's the gist of what Jesus is saying to us here. So notice, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. So what is he talking about here? Blessed is he who watches. Well, the ESV, which is the English standard version, reads, blessed is the one who stays awake. The HCSB, which is the Holman Christian Standard Bible, reads, blessed is he who is alert. So if we put those together, watching, staying awake, staying alert, these are all things that are repeated over and over again to believers by Jesus and the apostles. And surely that's the case as you on your own, as you've read through the New Testament, perhaps you've noticed that in so many different places, similar kinds of things are stated. There's this constant um, exhortation, this constant, uh, again, it, it's a warning, but it's, but it's more than a warning. It's an encouragement to, to continue to be alert Spiritually, let me give you just a few examples of uh, where we find Jesus and the apostles saying these kinds of things. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, uh, a passage that we referred to previously in uh, earlier studies, Jesus said, take heed to yourselves, pay attention to yourselves, lest your hearts be dulled by wild parties, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. Behold, I come as a thief. That day come upon you unexpectedly. He's talking about the same thing there. And then Paul, in writing to the church in Thessalonica, in the fifth chapter, verses one through six, he said, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. And then the apostle Peter one more passage. He said this in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14. He said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So these are just a few examples. We could go on and on uh, giving similar kinds of examples, but there's this constant reminder all throughout the New Testament, a reminder of the need to keep ourselves alert spiritually. And that's what Jesus is uh, reminding us of here in this passage. This is what the future holds. This is what is coming upon the earth. Uh, make sure that you remain alert so when the Lord does come, it, it doesn't happen uh, unexpectedly for us. Now, here's the second thing that we want to consider. What does it look like to keep ourselves alert? How do, how do we do this? How do we make sure that we are not taken by surprise when the Lord returns? Because remember, he's, he's gonna come unexpectedly. He's going to come suddenly. He's, as a matter of fact, Jesus said this. He said, at an hour that you do not think, so the Son of Man will come. So how can we 
do what Jesus said. How can we make sure that we are not uh, taken by surprise or that this day does not come upon us as a thief? Well, there are some basic and, and real simple kinds of things that God has given to us that every generation of Christians has had to apply and we are no exception. They're, they're simple things. It's not complicated. Uh, but they're things that must be done if we are going to maintain that kind of alertness that will prevent us from uh, that day coming upon us unexpectedly. So I want to just consider a few of these things. And uh, like I said, nothing new here, nothing that most of you haven't heard before. As a matter of fact, some of you might say, oh yeah, I've heard that. Yep, I know that. Oh, come on, you know, tell us something new. Uh, sorry, <laughs> there, uh, there's, there's nothing new to tell. It's the same thing. It's those, those simple things that we are to do. But you know what the problem is? So often we don't do them or we do them temporarily. We do them for a period of time and then we slack off in doing them. But Jesus is telling us that Blessed is he who watches. Blessed is he who is awake. Blessed is he who is alert. So again, how do we maintain that kind of a position? Well, here it is. Simple things. I'll lay them out and then we'll go back over them one by one. Bible reading and meditation. Prayer. Meditation on good literature, Christian literature. Fellowship. Service sharing our faith. Simple things. They're all simple. But listen, consistent engagement in these things is necessity. And if we consistently engage in these things, then we will be, as Jesus called us to be, we will be watchful. We will be awake. We will be alert. And so let's just go over each one of these things. Bible reading and meditation. You know, this is Again, it's, it's fairly straightforward. It's fairly simple. We, as uh, the people of God, the children of God, God has given us his word. He has uh, brought it to us down through the centuries. He has uh, protected it and delivered it to us. And, you know, it, it really is our greatest treasure. It, it really is, even though a lot of times we don't realize it, it, it is the most valuable thing that we possess. Many years ago, uh, Queen Elizabeth said regarding all of the national treasuries of uh, the British Empire, she said, our greatest treasure of all is the, is the Bible. And you know, she was right. But not just for her and the British Empire, but, but really for every person, especially for every Christian, the greatest treasure we have is the Bible. Do we realize that? Do we realize all that it took uh, to get this book into our hands? Do we realize that many people sacrifice their lives to get this book into our hands in our language? I think oftentimes we forget that and we're uh, negligent when it comes to the Bible. But we're called, we're exhorted. We have numerous examples in scripture of the importance of reading and meditating on God's word. Think of Joshua with me for a moment. Remember, Joshua is the successor of Moses. And when Joshua is taking the leadership of the nation, God speaks to him and he says this. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. Then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you shall have good success. So Joshua is going to lead the people. He's taking over for Moses. How's he going to do that? God says, this is how you're going to do it. Meditate in my word and you will succeed. You'll be prosperous. And you know, that, that same truth is for us as well. And that's just one example. We come to the, uh, the book of Psalms. We come to the first Psalm and right there, you know, it's interesting. In the very first Psalm, we have this statement. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the Lord's law, uh, he or she meditates day and night. 
for, it goes on to describe, uh, be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bearing fruit in its season, leaf will never wither, whatever they do will prosper. You see, right there, again, we have that reminder. We come to the New Testament, and again, we're told similar things. Jesus, uh, he says that our sanctification, which means our growth in holiness and our uh, transformation into the likeness of Christ, it happens through the word. Sanctify them through your truth, he prayed uh, to the Father. And then he says, your word is the truth. And, and many times over, we can find many examples of what I'm talking about here. But this is something that we ourselves have to do. God's given us the word and he calls us to then appropriate it. So notice I put reading and meditating and they're two slightly different things. And I encourage people to just read the Bible because, you know, we need to have a um, just kind of a bigger picture view of things. And as we read through the Bible, you know what happens? We start to see the world through the lens of God's word. Um, there's a term that a lot of people use today. It's a term uh, talking about the way somebody sees things. It's the worldview. You know, what, what is a person's worldview? That means, well, you know, how does a person interpret life? What, how, do they, how do they see uh, life or what lens do they look through? Well, for the Christian, the lens for us is God's word and the way to get that worldview, if you will, that biblical worldview is to know the Bible. And the way to know the Bible is to read the Bible. There's no shortcut. We, we've got to read it. We've got to get that, that input. We've got to have that coming into our lives. You know, for some people, maybe reading words on a page is not all that easy. People have different learning disabilities and things. But, you know, we live in a time where you can get an audio version and, and listen to it. But the idea is just getting the word of God into our minds, into our hearts. And know this, understand this. The word of God is the word of God. It's not the words of men. Although men penned God's word, it's God's word. And because it's God's word, there is a supernatural component there. And even as we read it, it has this way of changing us. It has this way of affecting us. It has this way of uh, reshaping the way we think and the, the way we, we view things. And it, it, you know, it cleanses us even from the inside. So reading the Bible, but then meditation on the Bible. And meditation is something that's obviously connected to reading, but it's a little more uh, in-depth. We could say study the Bible, but... I, I don't want to use the word study so much because that so often sounds kind of like you're approaching it just, you know, purely academically. So you're just getting the information in your head. Well, meditation combines the, the necessity to approach it in that sense in one way, but then the idea is that it becomes very, very personal to you. So as you meditate on God's word, this is where God speaks into your life personally. You know, as, as modern Christians, do we understand uh, the power of the word? Do we understand that it is through God's word that he speaks to us? I, I hear people all the time saying, oh man, I just wish God would speak to me. Well, listen, uh, the likelihood that you're going to hear God speak increases dramatically if you're meditating on your Bible. If you're not, then that decreases. It's because it's through God's word that he so often speaks to us. Now, God speaks to us through preaching, through teaching. Uh, the Bible tells us that. The New Testament tells us that God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers uh, for the equipping of the saints. And of course, there is all of that, and, it, and it's all wonderful and great. And um, I've been ministered to many times over the years, powerfully through preachers and, you know, sermons that have been delivered and Bible studies and all of that. But, you know, I have to say this. In the most significant moments in my life, in the, in the times of deepest crisis, if you will, or confusion or whatever, you know where God has met me most often? It's through my own personal 
reading of his word. It's through those times of meditation on the scriptures. I think of a number of times in my life where I desperately needed to hear God speak to me. And it would be in those times when I would just open my Bible and look to God and his word. And those would be the times that 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 thing that I needed to get me through another day God gave it to me. And that's what he wants to do for you. That's what he wants to do for all of us. That's why we have to be personally committed to reading and meditating on God's word. It's amazing how he uses his word. You know, this past week or so, um, I had an experience where kind of related to what we're talking about here. I'd just been for a couple days, just kind of under, sort of under like a dark cloud. You know how you get like that sometimes where there's just sort of a heaviness. There's kind of like a mild depression. You don't even really know why. And and I was like that. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of walking around under this burden. I couldn't even identify. If you ask me, well, what's bothering you? I, I don't know. There's just something lingering there. And I... I got up one morning and, and each, um, each morning I you know, try to have what I'm talking to you about, my time in God's word. But this year I've been going through a, a little devotional uh, written by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Songs of Jesus. And it's just a, it's a daily journey through the Psalms. So you go through the entire book of Psalms in one year. And I'm, you know, here I am in now uh, the month of April. So, you know, that morning, just a little paragraph there from Psalm 42 I read this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in the Lord. And, you know, just that right there set me free from that, that dark cloud that was kind of there lingering, you know, because I suddenly, I stopped and I thought, yeah, why am I cast down? What, what is this? And as I thought about it, I, I started thinking about you know, what was maybe at the root of it, that I was carrying around these burdens that I really didn't have any ability to do much about and all of that. And then suddenly that reminder, hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord. And I thought, of course, this is God's problem. It's not my problem. I'm going to trust in him. And, you know, I walked away from that time in the morning with that dark cloud lifted, that burden taken away. And that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes it just comes that simply. But it's through our commitment to God's word that we maintain this kind of sharpness, this alertness. You know, I can't think of uh, the number of times where in just my, again, going through the word, God has challenged me. He's corrected me. He's rebuked me. He's convicted me. He's shown me things that I needed to see that would help me to get back to that place of spiritual sharpness where maybe I was growing a bit dull. So it starts right there with God's word, reading it, meditating on it. But then prayer is really kind of, you know, combined with that. And it is sad to say, but I think it's more true than we want to realize that for many people, prayer is just something they occasionally do in desperate times. You know, it's, it's in that moment of crisis when you've tried everything else and nothing else has worked. It's like, okay, now I better start praying. But that's not the way we as Christians are to live. Prayer, think about it. I mean, this is the most amazing thing in the world. We get to talk to God. We get to talk to the one who created everything. We get to talk to the one who made us. We get to talk to the one who's sovereignly in control over all of the affairs of men. We get to go to the person who has all wisdom, understanding, might, and we get to tell them our problems. We get to ask for his guidance. We get to seek out his assistance. And listen, God's real. He's living and he answers. He works. But do we pray? Do we have a consistent time of prayer. And as I said a moment ago, these things kind of go hand in hand. I find for myself that oftentimes it's in my, my time of devotion that I'm sparked to pray. 
or it's during my times of prayer that I'm reminded of a passage of scripture or something that happened in the Bible that brings to me what sometimes what I'm even seeking in prayer. So you see the things go hand in hand and it's the, the development and the consistent practice of these things that are going to make for us to remain alert spiritually as Jesus called us to be. But then I want to throw in there also the, um, the importance and the role that good Christian literature can play in all of this. You know, sometimes it's because somebody meditated on God's word or lived through an experience or had an encounter with God and, and wrote it down, put it in, uh, you know, uh, written form in, in some context or another. And, and we read that and it's through that person that their experience, it, it resonates with us. You know, there's, there are certain writers that I read them and when I read what they say or like their take or their perspective on it, it just resonates with me. It's like, yes, I, yeah, I, I get that. I feel that. And that's what we get when we take advantage of the great literature that God has made available to us. Did you know that in the English language, there is more Christian literature in English than in any other language in the world? So we have this unbelievable treasure of uh, information that has, you know, been passed to us from generation to generation. You know, there, there are times when beside the Bible, I will be um, reading through and meditating on books that were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, part of my, my daily reading beside that book I mentioned a moment ago is, is a book that was penned 500 years ago. And the crazy thing is every morning when I read it, I think this is as relevant today as it was. I mean, it was obviously relevant when it was written 500 years ago. It's still relevant because, you know, nothing really changes. People are still the same. And the problems that we face are still the same. And the sins that we struggle with are still the same. And the temptations that we battle with are still the same. So... You see, these things can be a tremendous help. Sometimes it's, it's through an experience. I remember years ago battling uh, chronic illness and, and depression that was connected to that. And, uh, you know, I, I felt so alone. I felt so isolated. I, I didn't really know anybody that had been through any of the things that I was going through. I felt like there was no one that I could talk to about it. And I happened to have in my library... Uh, the biography, uh, the autobiography, actually, of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a great uh, Victorian age preacher in London. And uh, I've quoted him many times and many pastors do. But I remember picking up his book, his autobiography, and reading about his battle with depression. And I remember at the time thinking this was written for me for today. But it was actually written in like 18, you know, 65. But but it so resonated with me. It spoke to me and it ministered to me like nothing else did. No one else had that kind of insight. No one else that I had come across had that kind of understanding, experience, or wisdom. And here I'm reading this book written in 1865 and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is life. This is, this is healing balm you know, to my soul. So that's why we encourage the reading of good Christian literature. And we do have a bookstore at the end of the parking lot that's full of great books. And this isn't necessarily a plug for the chapel store, but it could be. Uh, there's a lot of great books there in the store. And these will help. They will help you. A few more things, fellowship. Wow, this is such an important one, fellowship. You know, you need other Christians. Did you know you cannot go, go it alone as a Christian? Uh, we live in an extremely individualistic culture. I mean, you know, Americans are known for being fiercely independent, fiercely individualistic, 
our culture has created this, and uh, to a large degree, that that culture has crept in and, and in some ways kind of overtaken the church. We function the same way in the church so often. We function like, you know, I'm fine. I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. You can't do it yourself. There's no place in the Bible where you have instruction for the person who wants to do it on their own. You know, like, okay, if you're a Christian that doesn't want to associate with any others, this is how you grow in your faith. You can't find that in the Bible anywhere. In the Bible, there's constant references to, you know, we're, we're part of the church. The church is the, the collective people of God. We're part of a family. We're part of a, a community. And we need each other. Now, we live in a completely dysfunctional society. You know, at one time in our history, the, the family was... Uh, very significant in the culture, and people understood the, the whole thing of personal relationships better than they probably do today. But listen, we have got to be in fellowship with one another. We have got to connect with one another. We've got to be in relationships where we make ourselves available, where we make ourselves somewhat vulnerable, where we, uh, you know, talk to people about what God's doing in our lives. You know, when, when you talk to me about what God's doing in your life, you know what it does? It blesses me. You know, I get, I get blessed so often when I meet with people to have counseling appointments or whatever. Uh, honestly, I walk away blessed because I think, wow, it's amazing what God's doing in that person's life. And hopefully you get blessed when I share with you, but that's the way it works. But if we don't connect with each other, if we never talk to each other, if we never spend more than three minutes saying, hey, how you doing? Good, I'm fine. Yeah, you, all right, good, great. Okay, see you later. You know, if that's the extent of our fellowship, well, that's not really fellowship. We need fellowship. We need to be in relationship with one another. We need to be part of a community where we engage with people. And listen, nobody can force you to do this. You have to take it upon yourself to do it. Now, obviously, there are different people uh, who feel differently about this kind of stuff. You know, some people are all for being with other people. They love it. They thrive on it. Other people are more uh, withdrawn and they're, you know, they're more inclined to kind of keep to themselves I was watching this funny uh, thing on YouTube the other day, um, you know, things that British people do. And, uh, you know, the British are sort of notorious for, like, not wanting to um, talk to each other <laughs> or, you know, not wanting to really um, engage in any kind of in-depth conversation or anything like that. And, you know, having lived in Britain, I, I watch this. I think God, it's so funny. It's so true. And all of these British people are being interviewed about how awkward it is to be introduced to somebody like, and you know, when you have to shake hands, you're not sure, should I shake their hand or should, should I hug them? Or, you know, they're going through all these funny scenarios. And, and as I thought, thought about that, I thought, you know, it's not a British problem exclusively. You know, many of us have those kinds of problems where we, we just are more comfortable if we just keep to ourselves. But you know, it's not about being comfortable, it's about growing. It's about the need to encourage one another, to speak into each other's lives, to pray for each other. And so this is uh, a, a challenge. This is something, again, we're looking at the things that we have to do to keep ourselves alert. We have to be in fellowship. And that's why we have a variety of different things that happen here throughout the week, a smaller group setting where you can actually get in a place and you can engage. We have the men's fellowship. Guys, you can get there and you can get to know guys personally. You know, it's funny, uh, we, as, as a man, and you know, the older I get, I, I find that there's a tendency in my own life to just kind of be a bit of a loner. You know, I, I just, well, now I'll just do it by myself. And... Um, but I, I realized too, you know, that that's not, that's not healthy. I was with a friend yesterday and we, uh, we did a run together and um, it's Chet who does our Monday night study. And, you know, Chet moved here from Florida about uh, going on a, about a year ago. And Chet and I have been friends for a few years, but 
you know, we knew each other from a distance. He lived in Florida and I'm here and we kind of met through some mutual friends and so forth. And then, you know, God opened the door for them to come out here, him and his family and all of that. And it's all good. And the Lord's, you know, he's here on Monday night. And it's all a blessing. But I, I said to him yesterday, it was kind of funny because both of us were being a little bit sentimental in our conversation with each other, uh, sort of reluctantly, like, you know, we don't want to get too sentimental here with each other, but, you know, <laughs> I said to him, I said, you know, it, it's, you're an unexpected blessing in my life. I said, I didn't, you know, I was glad you're coming and it's great. God's bringing you out here and we're going to be in ministry together. I said, but you know, I didn't expect to have the kind of friendship with you that we're developing. I, I like to run by myself. I'm a solitary runner. I like to run and pray and think, and I don't want somebody talking to me when I'm running. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I found that, uh, you know, we're getting together occasionally on Saturdays and we're doing kind of a longer run and we're having this great time of fellowship. And, and it, but it caused me to realize, you know, I have a little bit of a tendency sometimes to just sort of isolate myself. And I realized, man, I need this friendship. I need this kind of uh, engagement with other Christian men. I need it. We all need it. Ladies seem to know this more naturally than men do. Uh, but you know, it's true for all of us. So one last thing on this. Now, um, because this is such an important part of the Christian life, uh, we, as I've mentioned before, and just wanted to kind of let you know, we're still moving in the direction of launching, hopefully in the fall, um, a whole set of home groups throughout the county where you can get plugged into a group of, you know, eight to 15 people, and you can start to really cultivate and develop some really solid relationships, Christian community together. So keep praying about that, be thinking about that, be planning to be involved in that in some way, because we need to do that. Two more things real quickly, serving the Lord. God has called every one of us to serve him in some way or another. And we have to seek out what that is from the Lord himself. And we do that by just really, you know, making ourselves available, just recognizing. Now, hopefully in all of our different walks of life, our jobs, our families, whatever, you know, hopefully we're thinking in terms of serving God there, and we should. But, you know, serving God in the context of the church, the body of Christ, how can I be a blessing to the larger body of Christ? What can I do? Uh, but, but seeking to get engaged. Again, not, not staying away, not uh, isolating, but getting involved in service. Whenever you get involved in serving the Lord, you're gonna inevitably get involved with other people. You're gonna be doing that side by side with them. But you know, as you're serving God, all of these things kind of come together because as you're serving God, you, of course, you've gotta be getting equipped to do that. So you need to be in the word, you need to be in prayer. As you're serving God, like I said, you're serving along other side, uh, alongside of other people, so you're, you're getting that fellowship aspect. But again, we need to put ourselves in a place of availability. And listen, just make yourself available, and I guarantee that God will direct you in what he wants you to do. And listen, it, it can be something very, very simple. You, you just start out with the, with the small things. When I first came to this church, I, uh, I just, you know, I, I knew after a while I needed to get involved in serving in some way. I was just here. I was like you. I was just a, a Christian coming to Calvary Chapel. I had, you know, my job I went off and did every day and but as I, I was coming to church, I was sensing, you know, I, I want to do something for the Lord. And I specifically remember as I was praying about that and coming to church one night, I was just thinking, Lord, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I can do, but I, I really want to do something for you. I was trying my best on my job to do what I could to, you know, share the gospel and all of that kind of stuff. But I just had that sense. I want to do something for the Lord. So I, I came this one night and 
there we were, and I, you know, I went to the particular Bible study I was going to, and after the study was over, the guy who was teaching us said, hey, Brian, can I talk to you for a second? Yeah, sure, what's up? He said, hey, you know, we noticed that you've been around a lot, and uh, would you mind helping out uh, with the thing here? And I said, yeah, no problem. What, what do you want me to do? They, well, you know, we need somebody to come early and get these chairs set up, and we need somebody to kind of stick around afterwards and put it all away, and, you know, would you be open to doing that? And, you know, I said, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Um, I, you know, I just wanted to do something. But as he was saying that to me, I felt like God's answering my prayer. I prayed, Lord, I want to do something for you around the church. And now they're asking me if I want to help out. So I did. And, you know, I did that for about a month. And then they said, hey, well, you know, since you're sticking around, you know, there's still a lot of people that need to be prayed for and stuff. Would you mind, you know, praying with them? Oh, I'd love to do that. You know, I had no aspiration to be a pastor at the time. I had no idea that I was going to be a pastor. I was content in the job that I was doing. I was making good money and all of that. And, and yet, you know, as I just took those steps to serve in those simple things, just, you know, setting up the chairs and tearing them down, then God led me one step at a time. And so my point in all of that is, just, you know, just get involved somewhere. And, you know, whatever you can do, Serving, again, it starts sometimes on just the most basic level. And then God brings you along. And some people thank God of, you know, for 30 years, they've been setting up chairs and taking them down. And that's been the thing that they've done for the Lord. And it's been a blessing. It's been a benefit to many people. One last thing. Oh my, have to hurry. One last thing. We're talking about the things to keep ourselves alert, right? Bible reading, meditation, prayer, good literature, input from that, fellowship, service. Last thing, sharing our faith. You know, sharing our faith is at one and the same time, it's sometimes the most intimidating and the most exhilarating thing you can do. Isn't it funny how intimidating it can be to share your faith? It's like, here's an opportunity in front of you and all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, what do I say? Oh man, you just go into a panic, like, oh, oh no, I, I forgot everything all of a sudden. But, you know, when you break through that and you just open your mouth and you start talking and, you know, you finally get it out and you walk away and you think, wow, that was amazing. That was so exciting. That was so thrilling. Oh God, thank you for using me like that. See, these are the ways that we keep ourselves alert. These are the ways that we keep ourselves sharp. And so all of these kinds of things, as I said earlier, consistent engagement in these things will cause us to be watchful, awake, and alert. One last thing on that sharing your faith thing. You know, we pray for a great work of God's spirit. We pray that people would get saved. We know that the answer to life's questions and problems is Jesus. We know that the answer to the insanity in the culture is is more people coming to Jesus and getting their life sorted out. We know all of that. But remember that the way that that usually happens is because somebody, some individual person talked to somebody else about the Lord. We have great events. We have crusades. We have all kinds of outreach events. And all of those things are wonderful. But everybody who engages in those know that unless the individual person is talking to other people and stirring their interest or inviting them, nothing's going to happen. And so we just need to keep in mind, if we're praying that people are going to get saved, we're also going to have to open our mouths and talk to people. And even if it might seem feeble to you, even if it might seem like, man, I didn't really do anything, uh, you're planting a seed and God's able to take it. If you could survey the people that have come to Christ and maybe ask them, you know, what was your first contact with the gospel? They might tell you, you know, that some, some person I bumped into just kind of, you know, they just sort of rambled out the gospel a little bit and didn't do anything at the moment, but it planted a seed in my life. So we need to take advantage and seek out those opportunities. You know, just last week I was at a wedding and I was leaving and there was a valet at the wedding. So they had parked my car and I went out to get the car and I was standing there as they were bringing the car up. And I'm just standing next to the other guy at the valet. And he, he just said, he said, man, this is a beautiful wedding. You know, this is amazing what's happening here. And I said, yeah, well, you know, the couple's Christian and we started talking. And, you know, pretty soon one thing led to another and you know, pretty soon I'm, I'm getting to share the Lord with them. 
And, and here's the wonderful thing. Uh, at the end of the conversation, he looked at me, he goes, thank you for talking to me about that. I really needed to hear that today. And I just thought, wow, praise the Lord that God, you know, opened that door. But that's the kind of thing. There, there are people all around us that need to hear the gospel and that are open, but we've got to take the step. So real quickly, one other thing, and then we're gonna wrap it up. Jesus says, blessed is the one who is watchful and keeps their garments lest they walk naked and their shame is seen. What does that mean real quickly? Garments are symbolic of the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed in. And we see that all over the place. But here in the book of Revelation, specifically to the church of Sardis earlier, Jesus said, he who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. To the church of Laodicea, he said, buy from me white garments that you may be clothed. Concerning the lamb's wife, we read later here in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse nine, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So notice the connection here. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment. So all of this watching, all of this alertness, all of this is about keeping our garments pure. What is he talking about? Well, this is what he's not saying. By watching and keeping ourselves alert, we don't save ourselves or keep ourselves saved. God's the one who saves us and God's the one who keeps us saved. But what we do is we prove our salvation to be genuine by manifesting God's graces through our lives. You see, Jesus is basically saying, unless you're being watchful, people aren't gonna see that righteousness that I provide. They're not gonna see that through your life. Instead, if you're slack, there's the, the nakedness is going to break through. And he's talking about the, the need. You know, salvation is God's work. He does it. He saves us. But he calls us to engage ourselves and, and be committed to growth and to progress and to maturity in our faith. The apostle Peter put it like this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So faith is where it starts. That's our garment. We're, we're clothed with the garment through faith. But now he says, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. All of these things, he says, this is the way. Basically, Peter's telling us the same thing that we've been talking about. This is the way to keep yourself sharp. This is the way to keep yourself alert. This is the way to keep yourself awake. Add to your faith. Be diligent to add to your faith. And in doing so, you're gonna make your call and election sure. You're gonna have confidence of your own salvation and people are gonna, it's gonna be obvious to them as well. So as we close, the pressure from the world around us to conform is great. I think there's more pressure to conform to the world today than there's probably ever been, in, at least in recent history. Man, the world is coming in powerfully, not just subtly suggesting that we go along with the flow. The world is coming in and insisting. There is an insistence now. You think this way. You act this way. You agree with this. You embrace that. That's, that's the world we're living in. The pressure is intensifying. The temptation to sin is everywhere. You know, you can hardly escape it today. It used to be that in your home, you had somewhat of a refuge. But of course, we've uh, opened up ourselves in so many ways through technology and so forth to where we're not even safe uh, in our homes. We're not safe anywhere from temptation. Internally, we have our own sinful cravings that war against us. So we've got problems. We've got pressure from without. We've got temptation from within distractions abound, and quite often our flesh is 
inclined toward laziness and apathy. And listen, this is all designed to dull us spiritually, to take away our edge, and to cause us to fall asleep at the wheel of life, so to speak. It's all intentional. It's all intentional because our adversary, the devil, the one that we've considered over the past few weeks, who's orchestrating the affairs of the earth in so many ways, and who is responsible in many ways for this great catastrophic season that's coming upon the planet, you know, he is wanting to dole us spiritually. He's wanting to take the edge off. He's wanting to put us to sleep. He doesn't want us in the place that Jesus exhorted us to be. And so we have to resist that. We have to resist that. We are not to let that happen to us. And how are we going to avoid it? By everything we've talked about today, by watching and being ready. And this is how to do it. Remember, Jesus said, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed are the ones who are watching. Let's be the ones who are watching. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be alert We want to be watching. Lord, forgive us for spiritual slothfulness at times. Uh, Forgive us, Lord, for giving in to our flesh, our cravings. Forgive us for being lackadaisical in our approach to the things of the Spirit. And Lord, would you today help us to take to heart these things. Lord, these basic, simple things that every generation of Christians has uh, had to apply. Lord, help us to apply them as well. That we might be those that are watching. Those that are alert. Those that are keeping our garments as you told us to do. Lord, thank you for the great promise, the wonderful promise that these catastrophic days that are ahead for the world, that you will deliver your people from those. Help us to be aware that that could happen at any time and to be living each day truly for you. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.